This is Salon Mix, featuring the people, trends, phenomena, and experiences that define and inform our lives and culture. I'm Salon's managing editor, Erin Keen. Alan Lichtman, a professor at American University, has successfully predicted the outcome of every U.S. presidential election since 1984. Yes, that includes Donald Trump's victory in 2016. Now he's predicting Trump's impeachment. In his book, The Case for Impeachment, Lichtman argues that Trump shouldn't be impeached because of his politics or his unconventional style, but rather that impeachment should only proceed when there is such an abuse of power by the president that it threatens our very society. Lichtman says several of Trump's actions fit this bill. Salon's Matthew Roja sat down with Dr. Lichtman recently to discuss the history of presidential impeachment, Trump's actions in question, and how he thinks it could all play out. Let's get started. Um, this is Matthew Roja from Salon. I am speaking to Professor Alan Lichtman, who teaches at American University and recently wrote a book called The Case for Impeachment. Professor Lichtman, can you break down the process of impeachment? First of all, the framers put impeachment into the Constitution quite advisedly as the ultimate safeguard of our democracy. It was a constitutional, orderly, and peaceful process for removing a rogue president or another federal official, unlike the way rulers were removed in their own time by assassination or revolution. And impeachment was advisedly put, not in the courts, but in the Congress, in an elected body. So it's not a legal process. It doesn't require commission of a crime. It's rather a combined legal, political, and moral judgment on the part of the U.S. House. And the U.S. House, by majority vote, can charge articles of impeachment against a president. But a president is not removed just by those charges. If articles of impeachment are voted, the case moves on to the U.S. Senate, where the president is tried with the chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court presiding, and it takes a two-thirds vote of the members of the Senate present to convict and remove a president. But if a president is removed, he's then subject to all normal criminal penalties. No president has ever been convicted. Two presidents have been impeached, Andrew Johnson in 1868 and Bill Clinton in 1998. And one president, Richard Nixon, resigned in the face of certain impeachment and conviction. In 1974. Let's go back to Andrew Johnson, though, because you were discussing how a president doesn't necessarily need to face criminal charges in order to be impeached. But historians generally regard the Andrew Johnson impeachment as being a travesty because he didn't commit any, or the law that he broke was an unconstitutional one. He had fired Secretary of State Edwin Stanton, who was being insubordinate, and most scholars would agree that as the executive, he had the prerogative to do precisely that. The law constraining him was unconstitutional. So that's an example of an illegitimate impeachment. Now, with Donald Trump, would you say that there are stronger grounds for impeachment? First of all, let me say there's no such thing as an illegitimate impeachment because the judgment of the U.S. House of Representatives is, is final. There's no appeal. There's no higher standard on which to judge. And of course, we can debate whether or not Andrew Johnson should have been impeached. And the argument for his impeachment is not so much that he violated this law, which you quite correctly say 
later on was, uh, at least by dicta, declared unconstitutional. It was that he was blocking the reconstruction process, the integration of freed slaves into American life. And after he was impeached, he moderated that. But okay, that's but I would say that it's important to make a distinction between, like you don't want to just start impeaching presidents because you disagree with them in terms of policy. That's, that's oh, a dangerous not. precedent. So while I personally think Johnson's reconstruction policies were appalling, and I would have been a radical Republican had I lived in that era, that doesn't justify impeaching him because the law that he broke existed to unconstitutionally confine his actions. With Trump, this is not an Andrew Johnson. This is someone- Absolutely not. Yes, this is someone who had, and I, want, I was hoping you could shed some light on why the case for impeaching Donald Trump needs to be distinguished from, say, the partisan politics that occurred in Andrew Johnson's era. Very good point. And in my book, The Case for Impeachment, I make it clear that Trump should not be impeached because he's unconventional, because you don't like his style, or because of his disagree with his policies. I've disagreed with a lot of policies of presidents, but I've never written a book before in the case for impeachment. I quote the great expositor of the Constitution, uh, Alexander Hamilton in the case for impeachment, who points out impeachment should only proceed when there is such a severe abuse of power by the president that it threatens the society itself. That is, it threatens our constitution, our freedoms, our liberty, and our national security. And as I point out in the book, there are ample grounds, not necessarily to write articles of impeachment today, but to begin an impeachment investigation of President Trump for very serious transgressions that do fit within what the framers understood to be the ambit of impeachment. First of all, there are conflicts of interest. The framers also put into our Constitution something very important called the Emoluments Clause, which says if you're the president, you should not be taking anything of value from a foreign power, their agents, or their entities. This was important because the framers were very worried about the financial corruption of a president. And of course, Trump has not divested his economic interests. He may have turned day-to-day -day management over to his kids, but he benefits from every single transaction of his businesses. And already he's likely at least crashed into the emoluments clause because as president, for example, he's taken final approval for some 38 potentially lucrative trademarks from China. Secondly, of course, there is the still pending issue of possible collusion between the Trump team and Russia's reprehensible attack on the foundations of our democracy. If there was such collusion and Trump knew about it, that in fact is arguably a serious federal crime. It's called misprision of treason, the failure to report treasonous activities. And heaven forbid if Trump himself was in any way involved with this attack, and it was an attack on the United States, he himself could be charged with treason. All right, well, now I would like to interject quickly to bring up something that you weren't able to write in your book because despite your very effective 13 keys to the presidency, so you could argue that you have staked claim to the title of prophet, you weren't able to prophesy his firing of James Comey, the FBI director. Let's discuss that and how that could also intersect with an impeachment case. That's a third ground for impeachment where we're getting pretty heavily into this just four months into the administration. You know, the impeachment in the House Judiciary Committee of Richard Nixon didn't come uh, but after more than five years of his presidency. So the firing of James Comey 
could arguably be considered obstruction of justice if indeed it turns out he fired him to somehow sidetrack the Russian investigation. But he said that he, I'm not trying to, I don't mean to interrupt, but this is something that I think a lot of Americans find frustrating is that he said, he has said that he was frustrated with Comey's handling of the Russia investigation. He wanted it wrapped up. Comey wasn't handling this the way that he wanted Comey to handle it. And so he fired him for that reason. And just to go back even further, you mentioned uh, whether Trump actively wanted Russia to undermine Hillary Clinton's campaign. He said, he publicly said that I hope that the Russians find those emails and publish those emails. At what point does the president openly admitting that this is what he wants matter? When do his own words actually carry legal consequences? His own words should carry legal consequences. And I was going to make the point. He probably didn't quite as explicitly say as you said that he fired Comey to derail the Russian investigation. But I think this probable cause for that, when you combine it with other things that the administration has done, for example, not firing General Flynn after getting a clear warning from the acting attorney general that he was compromised by the Russians and posed a threat to national security after this ham-handed White House uh, connivance with Representative Nunes to derail the congressional House investigation. There's enough there. And I'm not a lawyer, but lawyers call it the totality of circumstances. I think to have probable cause that he is guilty of obstruction of justice, and that would be a third ground for justifying an impeachment investigation. And of course, the point you made about his being the only president in history to invite a foreign power to meddle into our democracy strengthens the reasons why we also need an impeachment investigation into collusion with the Russians. And now I want to address the elephant in the room, pun intended, the fact that the Republican Party is in control of both the House and the Senate. So it's going to be very difficult for the House Judiciary Committee, which is controlled by Republicans, to find the political impetus to impeach a president from their own ranks. How do we get past this? An excellent question. This never happened before. But one of the Lichtman rules of politics is the first requisite of an incumbent is survival. Every member of the House is up in 2018. If Republicans come to believe that Donald Trump is a liability to their reelection, and we're not talking about Republicans in the safe districts, we're talking about 23 Republicans sitting in districts won by Hillary Clinton and several dozen others in vulnerable districts. If they feel that Donald Trump is putting in jeopardy their reelection and they'd be better off without him, they could turn against him. And it would only take some two dozen Republicans, as I point out in the case for impeachment, to join with Democrats to get a House majority. That's only 10% of Republicans in the House. I say to Donald Trump, you should welcome an impeachment investigation because you've claimed you've never done anything wrong. Well, if so, you should welcome an investigation to clear up the thunderclouds hanging over your administration. You should encourage every member of your campaign team and all relevant members of your administration to testify under oath, and you should release every document. And if there are any presidential tapes, release those as well. What's holding up Republicans is pretty crass partisanship at this point. They haven't come to that tipping point of believing that they're better off politically with getting rid of Donald Trump, but boy, you can see those clenched jaws on the part of some Republicans. It's getting harder and harder 
to defend uh, this president as, you know, serious, possibly impeachable transgressions pile up. I agree with you. And so what can we as American citizens do to change the way the Republican Party is approaching the situation? Impeachment will only really happen if the American people demand it, that ultimately members of the House, they call it the People's House, will be responsive to the people. And we've seen all this energy directed against Donald Trump, many millions of Americans and people around the world demonstrating and protesting. But it would be like smoke through a chimney unless it's directed to one of two specific ends, an electoral goal of changing the composition of the Congress in 2018, and then if the transgressions are serious enough, uh, the goal of impeachment. And that means doing things like having marches and demonstrations organized around impeachment, setting up and signing petitions, speaking out at town hall meetings, emailing, writing, and visiting your members of Congress. Okay, well, now the question I have, and we're going to turn <laughs> away for a moment from discussing the logistics of impeachment and historical cases preceding Trump in which presidents were or could have been impeached, because there's a point that I think needs to be raised here. There have been many presidents about whom there were people discussing possible impeachment. John Tyler, Ulysses Grant, it never happened. And so the question I have for you is, do you think, regardless of whether it should happen, that it will happen in the case of Donald Trump? I do think it will happen. I think there's enough there that they probably are going to find impeachable offenses. Whether you'll get a conviction from the Senate is much harder because that requires a two-thirds vote. And let's not discount the possibility that Donald Trump takes the Richard Nixon route. I don't need all this aggravation. And, you know, if he resigns the presidency, it's not as if he goes to some shack in the woods. He goes back to his billionaire lifestyle. He can claim, look, I prevented Hillary Clinton from the presidency. You know, I gave you Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. I've done all these great things and I've resigned for the good of the country and I still got my you know, Twitter phone. All right, well, I'm going to close with this question because if Trump resigns or is impeached, either one, the president of the United States will be, insert sigh here, Mike Pence. Uh, and the last time a president found himself in this position, the only other time a president found himself in this position, the man was Gerald Ford. And although he made mistakes, he was certainly a man of a relatively moderate ideological mindset and of a certain degree of personal integrity. How do you see Mike Pence comparing to Gerald Ford? Well, here's the, here's the rub, and I'm gonna go way against the conventional wisdom on this. Mike Pence has gotten the ultimate free pass from the media. He has lied. I mean, let's not call it lies. Let's just say he has spread falsehoods time and time again to the American people, most blatantly about the Comey firing and uh, General Flynn's talking to the Russian ambassador about sanctions, and there are other other times, for example, saying he didn't know anything about General Flynn taking foreign payments when in fact he was the head of the transition team at the time when that was widely reported. And somehow this guy who served for years in the Congress and was governor of Indiana is being fooled all the time. Well, maybe so, but I think an impeachment investigation has also got to look at Mike Pence. He may or may not have been involved in all this. We don't know. And this free pass from the media is based on nothing. It's based on supposition. So you're so, saying Gerald Ford versus Mike Pence, Ford better, Pence worse? Perhaps so, and maybe not even Pence. And you know who you get then? Paul Ryan. 
you know, the political calculations are very complicated here. And after that would be Orrin Hatch, if I'm correct, Senate yeah. pro temp. And then, and then after that, it would be Rex Tillerson. Well, yeah. the political calculations are not great for Democrats, no matter how you cut it. But, you know, you got to let the chips fall where they may here. Yeah. Well, Mr. Professor Lichtman, it was an honor speaking to you. I had a great deal of fun in this conversation. And uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, talk to us today. My pleasure. You are a brilliant guy and your questions were terrific. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Salon's Matthew Roja speaking with Professor Alan Lichtman, author of The Case for Impeachment. Read more on this story at Salon.com. We've just launched our podcast feed on iTunes. We invite you to subscribe and please leave us a review. You know the drill. The Salon Mix team is executive producer Lauren Schiller with audio mixing and editing by Ashley Ann Krigbaum. And I'm Erin Keene, your host, managing editor at Salon. Thanks for listening.